0: everyone and welcome to the Cambridge Union, it's an absolute pleasure to have so many of you here today um, to join us for this fantastic speaker event. Um, just a couple of things for me before we start. The first is that we're currently filming a documentary um, about Caroline Calloway so please do sit on the rafters um, which are just upstairs um, if you wouldn't like to be filmed so we'll be filming the entire event um, in the chamber. The second is that we'll have a social in the cellars right after, so please do head downstairs for that. Um, But without further ado, I'd just like to introduce our guest tonight. So tonight we have Caroline Calloway, who rose to fame while studying History of Art at the University of Cambridge and became known as the Gatsby of Cambridge. She is the author of the 2023 best-selling and critically acclaimed memoir, Scammer, the title of which references um, accusations of scamming that she has received from both critics and fans alike. Please welcome to the chamber, Caroline Calloway. it's an absolute pleasure like I said to have you. Honestly Um, this is so special for me. The way this is going to work is like most of our other speaker events for those of you who might be new here um, we're just going to have a a quick 30 minute kind of conversation Q&A before I hand over to the audience um, for your opportunities to ask Caroline questions as well. Um, But to begin with I think the question on everyone's minds um, is why the Cambridge Union? Why now right? I mean you when you moved to Florida you threw away your passport you said you weren't going move anywhere. Well,
1: allegedly. It's <laughs> actually, uh, I found out it's a federal offense to destroy U.S. passport, so allegedly I allegedly. Threw, allegedly. threw my passport in the ocean. Um, but I guess
0: the question then is, when I sent you that invitation a couple of months ago, why kind of say yes and accept it?
1: I feel like the only people who reject coming to the Cambridge Union are the same activists who like reject a knighthood. Like there is a, a slim part of celebrities that see it as offensive, but the vast majority, especially the Cambridge students, like I mean your Wi-Fi password is Stephen Wi-Fry. Stephen Fry has been here like fucking yeah. fifty times. I feel like for a student coming back. It's such an honor, because you saw people coming here who were accomplished, who had careers that you aspired to, and you came to these events, and then you're invited to host the event. I mean, how could you possibly say no? Especially because I could drag all of my friends from London to the event. So, And I guess kind of building on that,
0: so you kind of touch a bit there on your time at Cambridge. Um, What would you kind of sum up that experience like? I mean, did you, you could talk about the union, like did you come to union events or were you kind of the type of person that had a life kind of of its own?
1: Honestly, I only ever came to one union event. It was, I'm gonna butcher this Irish name, it was Oyan Colfer, he wrote Artemis Fowl and maybe three people came to his event. It was like at noon in the middle of the day. I think I might've skipped a lecture to be there. Oh my gosh. he yeah I just loved Artemis Fowl as a child so I went to that and that was my only experience with the union
0: yeah and then kind of now kind of coming back to Cambridge I guess I'm kind of curious what do you think has kind of changed what do you find has stayed the same
1: there are a lot of new buildings they demolished the Clare like gardener yeah. house into a strange reading room there's a new building in Modlin that I don't remember on the river and what's the same is, I feel like when you graduate Cambridge, you grow into a different person, and that's so lovely. But and it's so lovely to come back, but you also slip into the ghost of who you were when you were here. Like I find myself almost regressing. Um, so that's what hasn't changed. And I guess looking back on your time at Cambridge
0: um, and kind of the experiences that you had, I guess. You talk a lot about this in your memoir, which we will get onto, but I guess I was kind of curious. If you had to kind of think about your time at Cambridge, what you enjoyed, and obviously you talk about in your memoir things that you didn't really enjoy as well. Um, If you had to do that all over
1: again, what would you do? Is there anything you would change? Is there anything you would keep the same? I would change everything. I would not get addicted to amphetamines. That was a terrible mistake. Uh, like, zero out of five Yelp stars would not recommend to a friend. It was so bad. And it also, it also ruined Cambridge when I come back, because, like, I lived in this beautiful room in Kings and Bodley's Court for my last year, and when I punt past it, or even just, like, walk past it going through Kings, all I think about is just being so high on Adderall like clipping my fingernails down to the quick until they bleed and like rearranging my like Spotify playlists and I wish that I'd spent my time in these beautiful castles healthier there's so much I would have changed and I guess this is something obviously your addiction
0: is something that you talk about um, in your memoir but I think and coming on to this I think the types of things you talk about in your memoir right I think they're kind of different in that they are quite a radically honest picture of who you are. And you talk about the good things, but you also talk about um, the bad things as well. Um, And I guess, touching on that, is that that something you decided that you wanted to do in terms of you wanted to tell the entire story? Or did you find yourself kind of picking up memoirs and reading them and kind of seeing what you liked and what didn't really stick?
1: Yeah, when I started at Cambridge, I really... I've always felt like the moment that I learned what a writer was was like the moment I wanted to be a writer. Like the moment I learned what a memoirist was was like the moment I wanted to like be a memoirist. Like learning those words and wanting to be that thing were like the same memory for me. And so I always knew that I wanted to do that at Cambridge. And so going here, I just felt like I was completing something in a strange way. Yeah. And I guess with that, and
0: this is something I think comes really clear at the start of your memoir, you kind of make this distinction between Caroline Calloway, the character, in terms of Caroline Calloway, the past, and you talk about there are certain things that you did because Caroline Calloway, it just seemed like the type of thing Caroline Calloway, the character would kind of do.
1: I know it's tough to remember, but there really was a time on the internet where like the standard Instagram post was like an aerial shot of avocado toast and you would like put the Valencia filter and then like (laughs) the caption would just be hashtag Valencia. Like it's hard to remember how different the climate of social media was and when I was making my brand in 2013 and 2014 and 2015, I felt like I was really radical. I was, like, writing about how I missed my boyfriend in New York, I was meeting this new boy in Cambridge, and it felt like the radical frontier of vulnerability on social media. And obviously, looking back on it now, compared to, like, what people share about, gosh, everything on social media, it it seems really fake and, um... Plastic, but the truth is at the time I was being as vulnerable as I could to my audience and the truth also is that I hid all the darkness in my life Um, it's tough because one part of me thinks like You don't have an obligation to share that like if you really are going through something terrible You don't have to post about it on social media but part of me also feels so much regret for I don't know, even, I don't know. People come up to me and they're like, I applied to Cambridge and went to Cambridge because of your Instagram. And I'm like, oh no, that wasn't even my real life. And I, it's, it's tough to reconcile those two feelings that you don't owe the truth, but like I regret not giving more of the truth. And I guess, what would you say when, especially to someone who might be
0: writing um, or even thinking about writing about themselves and writing a memoir, What would you say is kind of a good guiding principle of like what you do share and what you don't?
1: That's a great question. Okay, on the internet where people can comment, this is actually like the first question that I really know the answer to. On the internet, do not share anything you're not ready to be criticized for. Like if you cannot, if you're not stable enough in, that vulnerable moment that you're sharing and you know what happened and you know how you feel about it, do not share it. The comment section will send you on a rocky, wild road. But when you're writing for a book, something that's not shared so much, I really think that you should write as if you were dead, to just write like you have already died and there'll be no consequences for what you say and that you should just say the most Honest, like you should walk along the ocean floor of like the truth of what you feel.
0: I guess looking at like the thing about writing as if you were dead, right? So looking back, is a Kate Zimbino quote? Where is well? Is a Kate something quote but writing as if you were dead um and then kind of looking back at scammer and then looking at the books that you do want to write in the future what's the legacy that you you like you would say you want to leave behind
1: okay this is a great question and i'm so glad you asked it (laughs) okay Okay. amazing so here's the plan this is my second time speaking at the union the first time was over zoom it was very timothy chalamet hosting snl the first time it doesn't really count but like this he recently hosted the second time and he was like finally I'm here in person. And that's very much how I feel about speaking at the union for a second time. I, what I want my legacy to be is that I, you know how there's certain characters like, I don't know, like Andy Warhol or Elizabeth Wurzel or Oscar Wilde or Kat Marnell or just pe- Julia Fox yeah. or people who are just, they've never been seen before. Like I want to wrap up strange American wonder and British castles and intense suicidal depression and just the n- nastiest details of mental illness and the most beautiful sentences and riverbanks and castles for the second time and because the castles are very important and I just want to wrap them into a person and flowers, flowers in the hair, I didn't have enough time, it's actually been a crazy day, I can't even get into it, but, um, but I want to wrap them all into a person and a brand and a, I don't know, a legacy of books that's never been seen before and like will never be seen again, like I want to be like a figure that I can't, lives on. I can't wait for my third union talk.
0: Um, and I guess with that, because we keep coming back to this idea of brand and character. I guess where would you say you separate the line between you as a person and you as a brand and as a character?
1: When I was younger, in my early twenties, I couldn't separate it at all. It was the same thing. But I saw how unhappy that made me. Not just like. Emotionally, but like financially like I got into like a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt like that's not healthy And so um, I sold this book that I didn't want to write about how but the character that I was trying to be and Having to pay that back and also having to play that It's strange because it, it's sort of like a frog trying to kill itself in a pot of boiling water. It's so gradual that you don't jump out, like trying to present yourself on social media as this like beautiful thing. Like it starts with one photo and next photo and the photo after that, and then suddenly you're locked in a cage of your own making of your like social media image. And, um, yeah, I did that when I was younger, and it was so awful, it broke me. I got addicted to amphetamines, got out of that book deal, paid the $100,000 back, and was like, that was a lot, I'm never doing it again. So, like, my social media now is very distant from my life. Like, I just post the, like, the critical success of Scammer is, like, the whole Instagram. It's, like, just the glowing reviews. And i now at 31 versus 21. I no longer see myself as a character. I see myself as someone who has like a much better control of living the plot.
0: And I guess with living the plot and the stuff that you talked about in your early 20s and now looking back as a 30 year old um, and in your 30s, How would you say you were able to bounce back from that and build the resilience? Therapy. Therapy.
1: Duh. I think a lot of people need therapy. I I spent like a a year going to therapy like three times a week. Um, But would you say
0: that it's also therapy and then building up a community of people?
1: No, Mm -hmm. no. No. Just Just therapy. therapy. Just
0: therapy? Yeah, Is that your word of advice to anyone? What? Is that your word of advice to anyone? Everyone should be in therapy, literally. (laughs) I think that's really good advice. Um, But I guess with then the internet and the things that you choose to post, coming back to your memoir and talking about the terrible things that happened to you, but also being honest about not being a perfect person and that I think human beings are allowed to be flawed. right? How would you say you prepare yourself or you prepared yourself in this context to be okay with the fact that people were going to make criticisms about deeply personal things that you were sharing for the first time.
1: Honestly, I had the most amazing editor who I just think is the best writer in the world and he really supported me and I had some other editors who are also the best writers in the world and I honestly had to just shut out what the consequences would be and I just tried to do the writing as if already dead. Like I I just tried to write a book that would be interesting in 100 years from now, not something that would have consequences in the immediate future. I don't wanna ruin anyone's life. When I say consequences, I mean like for me, like things that I divulge that people would judge me for, or whatever, like I just try to shut it out and write the most honest thing I can. But I think
0: when, especially in Scammer, you talk about things that you haven't for the first time, right, and you give your side of the story, Did you not find yourself, especially in the immediate aftermath, being a bit hesitant about that criticism or what you chose to share because of the way people reacted? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Duh. So, but how would you you say you found yourself kind of dealing with that?
1: No, it was really the encouragement of my editors. Yeah. Like, I really, I really was so lucky. Did you ever find yourself having to like shut off your
0: phone and kind of stay away or did you?
1: Oh, I've quit Instagram like twice for 18 months. Once when I was like getting help for Adderall addiction and then once after just like writing Scammer. Like I just, I unfollowed everyone, I left Instagram and I just, I just, like I don't have a feed. Like I, I can't even access that if I wanted to. And I guess delving
0: into some of that criticism I think one of the things that stands out, and you talked about this previously, is you get a lot of criticism for the character that you've built, right? I think a lot of people love you, a lot of people also really dislike you. Would you say that a lot of that criticism is because of the fact that you are a woman? Would you say that you would get this, this character, right? If you packaged up this character and it was a man, that inhabited this character would you say that you would still this character would still get the same sort of criticisms or do you think there's an element of it of that
1: it is because a woman? i definitely think that a young man publishing a book a young up-and-coming man at cambridge would not be so pressured to make their plot in their late teens and early 20s about finding a wife at Cambridge in the same way that I felt pressured to make myself mainstream marketable by making it about my relationships and things that like mirror rom-coms. But other than that, I feel like there's just the a, a same, I get the same sexism as everyone else, it's not special. Yeah, and how do you think
0: kind of, especially when you're writing something like this, right? Um, and the fact that maybe a man wouldn't get the same criticisms, does that make you
1: reconsider, <laughs> like anything that you write, or do you do you just? See I do it as not write for straight, straight men. No. I only write for the girls and the yes. gays. So yeah. they're just like they're not even like yeah. on my radar. Like yeah. it's just the girlies and the gays that I make art for. Um,
0: and the other kind of criticism that I wanted to delve into, and I think. This is especially the case because of the audience that we're in. Um, I think when, so in Scammer, you talk about the way that you got into Cambridge, right? I think I have a couple of questions on this, but I think the first one is, why Cambridge of all places? I mean, why not Oxford? Isn't that more British
1: and more prestigious? (laughs) I feel like Cambridge is very much the Harvard of England in the sense that it's more sciencey, it's more quiet, it's more... Yeah. I, I don't know, straight laced. Yeah. And Oxford is where Yale. It's near yeah. New York. And there are weird parties. Um, I know this is this is so silly. Yeah. But I really chose Cambridge because my father, when I was little, always said. Like, I can't wait to visit you in Cambridge someday. But he meant American Cambridge because oh, he went to Harvard. Yeah. So that's, and I g- genuinely picked it because it just sounded more like Caroline. I swear to God.
0: I think, well, I'm, I'm biased. I chose
1: Cambridge too.
0: What? I chose Cambridge too. But yeah. I guess like reading um, in your memoir, it's so much of Cambridge. is I kind just, of shattered.
1: It, it also felt like when I said earlier that learning about like what a writer was and what a memoirist was, was the same moment that I decided to be that. I also felt that with Cambridge. like As soon as I learned about what this was, I was like, immediately yes. I, I don't need to hear, I've heard what I needed to hear and immediately yes. And then thinking about,
0: you read, I mean, you read History of Art, mm-hmm. um, but you always seem to, especially, especially reading your memoir, know that you wanted to be a writer at a very young age. So I guess why
1: choose History of Art over because I knew that um, writers nowadays need to have a social media presence. And I really thought that learning about composition and what the human eye is drawn to, and just being bombarded by the best images in the world, I thought that would really help me. Um, I thought, one, I would like it. I just, I just love it. It was fun and it was pleasurable, and I loved the beauty. And the other thing that I liked was that I felt like if I learned how to write at Cambridge, they would make me into some strange British author that I didn't want to be. And I knew what my voice was, and I didn't want it infected by the English course here, which is wonderful for people who are want that. But it wasn't for me. And I wanted art history, and I wanted to see the images. I wanted it to help my brand on social media. I wanted make me happy because I'm so rarely happy and I wanted um, it to help me on social media. Um, And I guess with
0: aside from the way that art history helped you with composition um, and understanding the human experience, what do you think specifically being at Cambridge helped you in the way of writing um, and setting up this character?
1: it was everything like honestly if I had been rejected I probably would have just like moved here and made friends yeah like I just really I know this sounds insane truly I do and I if I think it sounds insane I can't even imagine how it must feel for you guys to hear this but I've just always felt like my purpose was to make these books these renegade books about Cambridge and I've just never felt like I would be of service in any other way. I just always felt like this was the way I was going to make something important. And I just never doubted that. It's so strange. It sounds strange to me, so I know it's weird, but it's genuinely how I feel. Um, And with the
0: way that you got into Cambridge, I think a lot of people here would say that it was quite a controversial way that you got into Cambridge, um, even though you were really determined to get it, right? Um, and I guess thinking about that, I know a lot of people online talk about you getting your degree taken away, and that's up for debate. I don't think anyone here they do. is up online. Yeah, some people say. I. I Ooh. Like, I was reading about it. Really? Where? Yeah. Well, I think it's, what, like, what would your response be to people that say that you shouldn't have a degree from Cambridge because you Photoshopped your grades? All
1: right, well, first of all, I got a two two and not a third. So let's just start with that. But um, I also got a 50.0, which really shows that I nailed exactly the amount of work I needed to do to not get a third. And I think that is a skill that deserves an Oxbridge degree because it was it was so fucking precise. But um, but honestly, I I think there's so many people who go to Cambridge just to advance their own wealth. They even if they're as as their students, they think they'll do something artsy and wonderful, but they end up just making a job to make ends meet. And I feel like, from the bottom of my heart, I am in this just to make art about mental illness and castles, we can't forget that, for other people. And I just, I know that I feel like my Cambridge experience is in service to others. Yeah, and I guess, kind of Touching a bit on that, right?
0: I think, you know, for a lot of people, they go to Cambridge to make ends meet because they kind of don't really have a choice, right? Like they do need to make ends meet in some way. Um, so I guess in terms- I need to make
1: ends meet. Yeah. What do you mean? Why are you not No, but ends, I, No, that's not a judgment on you. But, but think, I'd rather do the art.
0: Um, but kind of in terms of that, is there, I guess the question then is, has, has, there, any, has there ever been any moments where you have felt guilty about taking someone else's place?
1: I think that's a great question. And you know, I actually looked into this because I thought you would ask me this exact question. I thought this would be the hardest question you asked me and I assumed it was coming. So I did some research and it's hard to say who deserves this place, like who wouldn't have a place at Cambridge otherwise that I would have taken. And I looked into the stats of the university and right now in 2023, three out of 10 students are black or ethnic minority. someone who really wouldn't have a chance at Cambridge. But the year that I matriculated in 2013, it was one out of every 10 students that was black or an ethnic mi- minority. It was pre, you know, uh, the George Floyd riots, it was pre, it was, it was 2013. And I think if you held a gun to someone's head, And said, do you think I took someone's spot in 2013, knowing that one out of every ten was someone who might say was more deserving? I think most people would say no. And then on top of that, I would say there is no metric who says of what is deserving, even if someone who is unlikely to get a place at Cambridge because it's so classist, and it's so sexist, and it's so racist, and even though I love it, it's sort of like a a long-term partner for me. Like, if you love someone, you really want them to grow and be better. Like, you're not above criticizing them, but you still love them. That's how I feel towards Cambridge. And if you look at that, like, I think that I probably do more good with my books about suicide and castles than your average banker. And talking about Cambridge, right, and how flawed uh,
0: Cambridge is, would you say that in your books you talk about Cambridge in terms of for an audience who isn't really familiar with Cambridge, right? It's It can seem like this romantic place with castles, mm-hmm. um, as you said. Oh, castles. Yeah, I think, would you ever consider writing a book, specific, not specifically about that touches on the experiences that you had at Cambridge, but more like pieces that touch on the floors of Cambridge as an institution. The floors? The floors. Of oh, Cambridge. the flaws. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> It's a bit of accent trouble. Yeah, 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 I got it. Um, you know, I would never write a manifesto, but as being a public figure was such, so much of my job is not just the books, it's events exactly like this. It's podcasts, it's interviews for papers. I think I speak very vocally about those flaws and have for years. And I think people just really pigeonhole me into someone who just thinks Cambridge is amazing. Because I do say castles a lot. I mean, they're not wrong. Like I am often saying castles, but I do talk about the fact that like, did you know Cambridge, they like put on their stats, they're like, we're 50-50 men and women. But the way that that works, and I hope this makes it into the documentary, is that the way that this works is that the, the, there are some colleges that are only women, and most of those colleges are underfunded, they're lower on the Tom table, they're farther away from the center of town, and so you have these colleges that are like 100% women to offset the really good colleges with the beautiful architecture and the rare books and the libraries, which are like, more like 40, 39% women. And so the university can collect all of that data and say, like, we're totally for gender equality, but it's, it's hiding these dark secrets. And I talk about this often, and I love talking about it. So, like, I am for the flaws, but I don't know if I would make a book about it. Like, a book is... I think I can do more good by talking about it in these sort of situations and on podcasts and on interviews than trying to publish a book taking Cambridge down. Like, I just don't think it would sell or, like, make a difference, you know? And I guess when you're making choices about what you do next, and especially Mm
0: -hmm. with what you might do after this, where do you kind of see the character of
1: Caroline DeKarrowing ending up? Great question. I'm so excited about this. So when I got to Florida, allegedly... I threw my passport in the ocean. No one knows, there's no way to ever tell, but my passport did disappear, because I told myself that I would not leave the godforsaken state of Florida until I had written one book. And I finished that book, and I got a passport to come here, and now my rule is, until I finish the Instagram trilogy, which is one book, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was this girl who claimed she wrote my Cambridge captions, and that I didn't help at all, but I'm gonna Taylor Swift the whole thing and re-record the album and just publish it under my name, because I did all of that myself. Cambridge Captions, a little essay responding to her essay, Instagram trilogy, and then I have seven other, what I call, day books, books that can be read in a single day that I want to publish while in Florida. And that's... and then after that, I'm gonna... I'll tell Come you later. No, no I, I, have, I, have, I have another idea after um, those 10-day day books. But I'm just, just going to churn them out and just make these really nice, strange books that you read
0: in a day. Um, and I guess touching on the person that you're talking about, um, kind of in your response, what, how do you... When a lot of people claim a lot of things about you online, yeah. right? Like everyone... And I guess this is the same for anyone that interviews you and then writes articles about you. I think this happens a lot with a lot of public figures. um, That they claim to know things about you Mm -hmm. and to know you intimately um, in a way that the general masses don't. How do you deal with the fact that there are these perceptions about you that just exist but you necessarily don't always have control of your own narrative, right? because of the fact that you are famous. And so there's, there will always be you as kind of a person, but there will always be perceptions that other people have constructed that you are never able to kind of get past.
1: Totally, and my best advice to everyone here is that if you live for the compliment, you'll die going viral as a scam. You really have to have like an inner sense of, if everyone's telling you that you're this thing, whether it's on the internet or around you in person, you have to, even if it feels impossible, you just, there's no other choice but to find the inner, like I feel very weak. Like sometimes I marvel at the fact that I was able to just like push through it. But you just have to find the inner resources to know that you're not that thing. But then if you publish a book and it gets great reviews and everyone loves the book, you also can't attach to those reviews. You really have to be, Dignified. No, just just separate from it, just yeah. totally um, self-contained. And when you
0: see how well loved your book is, right, and compared to how other books that write about your stories may not be as well loved, do you? How do you like separate yourself from feeling so satisfied with everything you've done?
1: No, I actually really lean into how the other books about me didn't do well, and I. Um, <sighs> Listen, I'm petty, I'm super yeah. flawed, and I, um, I was happy that other books about me did not do well. And that's, you know, something I'm working on with my therapist. <laughs> do you think, but would you say that, I mean, is that
0: pettiness something that you would say that you are kind of right in feeling, or you deserve that because of kind of how your life transpired after everything that went
1: down? Well, everyone's flawed, I just, I write in my book, I have this line that, like, you know, I, I wanted to be a famous memoirist. Like, that's sort of the, the thing I always wanted. But we want our famous people to be, we want our famous people to be perfect. And we want our, our memoirists to be honest. And I think um, famous people being honest is really repulsive. Like, we want our famous people to be role models, but we want our memoirists to be radically honest. And I think wanting to be a famous memoirist was a really tough goal.
0: And I guess moving, talking about being a kind of famous memoirist, would you ever see yourself writing things that aren't necessarily memoirs or just, just general fiction? And if not, why? Someday
1: I'm gonna write a fantasy book about Oxbridge. Yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm really excited about it. After the 10-day books, I have a whole <laughs> plan for it. You can tell us more. You can give us. the No, list. I'm worried some of you will take the idea because it's so good. Some of you know and do not tell anyone. It's so brilliant. So I'm just gonna keep it to myself. But I guess with some of
0: like some people knowing things about you that other people don't, how do you kind of track what you tell people and what people share about you and what they don't? Is that do you ever find yourself going to your friends and being like, I really need you to not like tell someone. Sure. What I just told you. Or... Yeah.
1: I, like, didn't have the documentary film Dinner and the Eagle. Like, yeah. I want to chill with my friends
0: for yeah. sure. But do you find yourself, like, in your close kind of circle, even just... When, because you're someone that meets a lot of new people every day, right? Like, a lot of people love you. Do you ever, like, see that you... Like, do you ever find yourself not having to share things because you're scared that that will come out and you didn't really have control over that narrative?
1: For sure. I definitely feel like sometimes, like, the people... That I'm around um, will ridicule me, and that is scary. But I just push through it.
0: That's really good. Um, and I think we have, I think we have about another 15 minutes. So I'm going to throw it to the audience. Okay, great. For some questions. So the way this will work is if you raise your hand, we'll get a mic to you as soon as possible. Um, your hands, I'll try to get to you as soon as possible. Don't give it
2: to the people
0: Yeah. too soon, they're yeah. the ones who are always laughing. Yeah. Um, uh, at the front there. Sorry, I think at the front there. With your hand up. Yeah.
1: Hi. Hey. Um, I would like to know, is there anything that you regret sharing online? Wait, should I have introduced myself? Hi, I'm Lucy. Nice to nice meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, I, I, I regret a lot, honestly. I often say that, like, when I was 21 and in a freshman here, like, first year, in 2013, I shared, like, my boyfriend's face on the internet and I like wrote about our relationship and I really feel like it was like smoking in the 50s, like 2013 like we didn't know how bad Instagram was gonna be and how it was gonna affect our lives or how it would affect the relationship and so I just put the whole relationship out there not knowing what the like the long-term consequences would be and I deeply regret that because I don't think that's really healthy for any relationship. So then you did not get permission from Carl to share the information before sharing it? No, 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 no. It was very much a part, in a strange way, he loved it when we were together. He, I love that you called him Carl, and I appreciate that. Um, He, um, in a strange way, we were so in love because he was from a middle-class family. His father drove trains. His mother taught biology. My father was on the brink of suicide. My mother worked for the government. And we were these two middle class people who just loved poshness and wanted to be posh. And in a strange way, you know, I didn't lie about Oscar. He did play, I didn't lie about Carl. He did play polo. He did know how to tilt a champagne flute so that it, you don't get too much Um, fizz and you get more champagne, like, he knew these things. But by leaving out the other stuff, I shaped the way that hundreds of thousands of people saw Carl, and in return, I shaped the way Carl saw himself, and in a very strange way, he loved becoming the person that I wrote, and in many ways, by the time we broke up three years later, he was more the... The character that he wanted to be didn't exist unless I was projecting it onto this giant theater of the world. And in a strange way, that kept us together. Um, But it was not healthy, and I regret it. That's kind of tea that you made him into something that he wouldn't
0: have been otherwise. Yeah. (laughs) Very powerful woman. Yeah, those are my statements. (laughs) Um, We'll go right at the front there after
3: Hi, Caroline. Hi. Tony Christensen. Hi. Um, I had a question about your book writing like style. Like, Where did you do it? How did you do it? And then when you finished your memoir, did you have a moment of catharsis? Was it like a weight lifted off of you?
1: Yeah. You know, I was actually with one of my friends from Cambridge. She was visiting me in Florida, and I was with my mom. And we were up in this tall condo that overlooked a bay, and there were dolphins that came up and I just, I felt so free. Like I couldn't believe that I finally, like I I just did the last chapter and I sent it off to my favorite editor and I sent that email and then I was almost in a daze. Like uh, I felt like I'd been concussed honestly. And I just celebrated with my Cambridge friend and my mom and we, I think we had champagne and went out to dinner and it was just such a free, I I really couldn't, like, no one, no one is more shocked that I finished a book than I am. Like, I was, I was in a daze. But that's what the end of the writing process was like. You know, Zadie Smith once talks about, in this essay called That Crafty Feeling, that her favorite feeling in the world is after she finishes the book. She talks about this one time when it was like, I think it was fall in her back garden in London. She takes a bottle of Sancerre that she'd been saving, and she just drinks it after she's finished the last line. And I don't know if I had that floating around in my head when I was like, let's get champagne and I'll be dazed, but I was dazed and that was how it was. Um, If we have hands back up, um, I
0: think we'll go right at the back, over there.
1: Hi. Um, I'm Lena.
0: Hi. Hi. Um, So you've been mired in controversy for a long time. For sure, Um, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why you titled your book Scammer. For sure. Um, But with the publishing of Scammer and with like the positive reviews it's gotten, like Scammer, you are no longer. Um, So I guess like with that, um, how has your perception of yourself changed? Like how does it feel to have like the institution change its perception of you? Like, I guess like how does it feel to have like achieved this goal that like people thought was sort of like out of reach for you for like a really long time? That's
1: such a nice question. And it feels really honestly, it feels it feels like I'm finally catching a break. Like my ex-best friend writes this article saying that she did the Cambridge brand, not me. The whole nation believes it. Two days later, my dad's rotting body is found. Suicide. Like, uh, uh. then COVID hits. Grandma dies. Like, it's just, I just felt like for so long, I could not catch a fucking break personally, even if publicly seemed otherwise. And it's just, honestly, the good reviews, I know that I can't attach to them because otherwise when I get bad reviews, I'll attach to that. But I do have moments where I just think, I'm so grateful. Like, it's just so, I'm just so happy to just... The Washington Post was what was delivered to my house when I was little, and they called my first book a masterpiece, and they called me a lunatic, and I was like, you are totally correct about both of those things, (laughs) and it just warmed my scammy heart. So thank you for asking that, because it feels good even to answer this question, and I appreciate it.
0: Um, we'll go. There's oh, some over okay. here,
1: where the microphone
0: is. Yeah, we could do over
2: there. Yeah, Hi, my name is Alex. Um, in the Vice interview, I was really struck by like what you talk about how you bought a. Bunch Wait, can of... you hold
1: the mic closer to your mouth? Oh yeah, sorry. Is it working now? Yeah.
2: Um, you talk about how you uh, bought a bunch of memoirs and biographies of people and read them in preparation for your book Scammer, and I thought that was such sort a of striking image. And I wondered um, how that affected the writing process, if at all.
1: Yes, I would say the number one memoirs that I was reading was Argonauts by Maggie Nelson and In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. I even, and strangely, I was not reading Joyce, but the two things that I reference in Scammer or Joyce's quote about the snow falling faintly and faintly falling and Carmen Maria Machado's uh, Milky Portal. And they were just uh, strange. I didn't read Joyce, but those were the things that were floating around in my head. I, I, I actually hate Ulysses, so I'm just like, I don't even know. That, but that's what was in the mind. It was Argonauts, Machado, and Joyce. Thank you. Oh, oh, and um, Sarah Manguso, who was one of my teachers, and David Lipsky, who were my two teachers at NYU. They were just, their words were, their guidance as teachers were so impactful. Like they were, they were my first good teachers. That's a really great question. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Any hands? We'll go
2: over there. Um, hi, uh, my name is Rosie. I also do history of art.
1: No way, that's amazing! What first year are you?
2: Year. First year, at the very beginning. First year. Oh yeah. my god,
1: incredible! Are that's you doing exciting. the whole like? Have you traveled to like a country house of some random duke?
2: We've been to we've been to Ely. We've not yet been to do a they still
1: house. have the bus? Are they putting you in the
2: bus? <laughs> I have not seen this bus yet. No. Wow.
1: Okay. Well, it's November. You still might see the bu- bus. Like Thank it's course. only been like truly like six weeks that you've been here. That's exactly. crazy. Where are you from?
2: Where am I from? Manchester.
1: Oh, Mancunian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs)
2: Um, So I've got a question about the question that you prepared for, because I felt like we didn't spend enough time on that. Uh, And you were talking about the act of getting in through uh, fraudulating your transcripts, I think is the best way to say it. Um, And I think I've got two points. The first one being, I'd like if you could elaborate on the significance of George Floyd and like black students, because you mentioned that, and the like one out of 10 versus three in 10 now. And also kind of being at Cambridge at the beginning, I know how, like a lot of people suffer from imposter syndrome here, and that's having even got in legitimately. How did you- Sorry, I didn't hear. A lot of people here struggle from imposter syndrome. Yes. It's a constant stress. How did you deal with imposter syndrome in your time here,
1: elaborating on the George Floyd protests, I feel like I am not the person to speak on it. Um, on imposter syndrome, I do feel like an absolute goddamn expert. <laughs> um, every day that I was here, I felt like I didn't belong. And to the state, Cambridge is the city that inspires me most, but it's not the city where I feel like I belong. And I always thought, through my first year and second year and third year that like maybe it would change. But like even being invited to speak at the union the second time, I feel so grateful I'm so lucky. Thank you. You're welcome. Um,
0: we might throw it over to this side. Um, we'll go over there. Yeah. Can you get them through? Yeah, so they can
1: that right.
3: <laughs> Hi, I'm Beatrice. Um Oh my
1: god, your outfit is amazing. Thank Holy you. shit. Oh my god. What a sleigh. Thank you. Are you. Oh my god, the belt?
3: Thank you. Can I put that on my Instagram bio that you complimented my outfit?
1: Oh my god, like let's take a video. I'll just like <laughs> fucking we'll make a grid post of it. I yes. feel passionately about this outfit. Oh my
3: god, then I will definitely kid chase you off on that. Okay, well um, there's
1: an after party. Oh yeah, so, no, I'll in def- the cellar. I'll
3: definitely be there.
1: Yeah, I'll <laughs> see you there.
3: But anyway, um, I was interested when you talked earlier about like the radical frontiers of honesty that people are demanding out of like social media celebrities nowadays, and particularly later on when you were talking about um, how like again we there's a certain level that almost we don't want yeah. to know about like people we admire and look up to and like follow. Do you think particularly with the sort of increased like atomization and secularization of celebrity to from platforms like TikTok whoa, whoa,
1: whoa. atomization yeah. and secularization well, like, of celebrity you lost me i was totally with you within like and then i was so like like, what in, are you like about? Increasingly
3: it seems to me as though like For lack of a better word, you are one of a kind in the sense of everyone on Instagram knew who you were. Yet nowadays, particularly with like influencer culture and stuff, that feels to be less of a problem. Like we're increasingly, we have influencers incredibly relevant to our specific communities, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's so great that like there's so, the internet has grown to service everyone.
3: Well, I guess my question is then, to what extent then do you think that... Not only, like, do you think there's further depths to plunge or do you think that we're actually going to see a trend backwards towards like this sort of mega celebrity that everyone on social media knows?
1: No, I think social media will just grow so that it just, I mean, when (laughs) when I was posting pictures, like, it was radical in 2013, and I'm so glad that I was part of that frontier of vulnerability. And I'm so glad now that we're talking about like everything from cancer to divorce to uh, treating wounds to stomas to just trying to think of my like TikTok algorithm and like all <laughs> the different shit I see. Yeah. I think that's great, and I encourage it, and I think it will just grow larger. But like people will find their niche, and I think that's great.
3: Yeah.
1: And I love your outfit is the biggest point I want to make.
3: <laughs> Honestly, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in conclusion, the outfit yeah. slayed. In conclusion, the outfit slays, and that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's
0: all that matters, yeah. for sure. I'll, I think we have time for two more questions, so I'm going to let you pick the last two.
1: Okay, why don't we do the one right next to the outfit that slayed so hard? Oh, yeah, thank you. Oh, my God, is your outfit about to slay so hard? Uh, hi, oh, hi, oh, hi, you're hi, they look Thank so you so good. much. They're from Good Squish, not sponsored. Um, hi, I'm Claire. Um, I was going to ask. It's an age of do it for the plot, right? What? It's an age of do it for the yes. plot. I am also guilty as charged. I will definitely do something for the story. Yes. And I'm wondering if you, in a hypothetical sense, could never have been perceived as having done any of the things that you did at Cambridge, or never have done them in real time on Instagram. Do you think you still would have lived the life that you lived as you did? And would it have the same power as a memoirist? You mean like if I'd lived it pre-Instagram or in Yeah, as in if you had lived it in a way no, that you could No, I often be shared. think that I was yeah. born in the right age. Like, if I were born in medieval times, I would be, like, writing about what I did today and, like, handing it out in the Times Square, being like, a small story about my life. Would you like it? It's very good. I really believe in the voice of this writing. Like, it would be awful. And I'm... I, in the same way that you look back at... Um, For me, I see it most with, like, women or women of color who really tried to make art but were just suffocated. I I know I'm just looking at it through a gendered lens, but that's what really speaks to my heart. I just think of the people, the women, who weren't allowed to be educated, who weren't allowed to... Have time to write because they did all the chores, who weren't allowed to like have their writing preserved because they were women and they just like threw it out and it wasn't important. I feel so 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 lucky that I was born in a social media age, and I just you know I often feel like the thing that I want to be most I say famous memoirist, but like the thing that I actually want to be i don 't know the word for it's like more performance art for the plot it's more Online than famous memoirist really in capsules and I'm just waiting for the right word and your friends are filming so hard it's actually <laughs> crazy I don't have fans crazy. I just have really supportive friends <laughs> but, uh, uh, are you so with much. the documentary people? Really? like what's happening? no, no I just am um, chronically online like you <laughs> should we do one last question? Yes one last, one question. question? yes one last let's do one over. okay well okay cool. let's do this one I need them kicked out. Thank you.
0: Hi, um, I'm Kat. To um, <gasps> say I'm- I love your hair as well. Thank you. Oh my God, same scrunchie. Um I've been following you for a very long time, ever since like you went to Cambridge, and obviously I've seen your whole journey. But also, I think I've seen like the massive growth of like kind of like also alongside a lot of people who are very much supporting you, like this huge parasocial community who are sort of commenting on your every move. And I just wanted to ask like, how did that make you, did that make you act any differently? How did you make sure that you like protected yourself from that? Because I know you talked about it a bit in your Vice documentary, but it must have been like very crazy to have people sort of screenshotting and posting constantly.
1: Every it really, day. yeah. The Reddit that writes about me really bothered me for a long time, years. And it just felt like um, this strange sort of infection that I would impose on other people. Like if I wanted to tag a friend in my story, I would like hurt their career. Like I was just even loving me was like an imposition to everyone around me because of what I would bring into their life. And that really weighed on me and made me feel very isolated. But what really helped me about the Vice documentary that we made is that for three days, like three days solidly, we got this burner form, phone and we put like a burner phone number on the Reddit. Said it's I like took a photo with like the da- like a ransom, like sort of like hostage. I was like today's paper and me, like it's me. Call this number. We put this on the Reddit and we spent like three days. I know the documentary is like I don't know 20 minutes, maybe less. But we spent three days just calling these people up, nonstop, just people, people, people. And I really thought one of two things would happen. I thought they would either be like weirdly sycophantic when they met me or I thought they would be just like very cruel to my face and just be like sort of like yelling as soon as I picked up the phone or just like really mean. And the strangest thing happened was that I would say 93 days solid. I felt like my job was just like a telecommunicator. Like I was... Almost every single person just wanted to talk about their own problems and what they were going through and their own sadness and what happened to them. And it really made me realize that, like, I wish they didn't hate me, but at least that gives them a sense of community and... If they don't like me that's a really solid opinion that they know won't get criticism and it just made me have a lot more empathy for them than I did before and it really like healed a part of me because I felt like I felt like for the first time I understood where they're coming from yeah that's
0: really interesting also I think it's like most of them were women like it was very like a female community, it was very... What? Can you speak into the microphone? most of them were women, so it was, like, a very, like, bizarre, like, just like you're saying. I just felt like they were so
1: lonely, and, like, I'm lonely too, and, like, I want friends, and, like, they wanted friends, and, like, they just wanted to talk to me about their problems, and, like, they wanted to talk about their, like, their problems with other people in the community, and it just seemed like they were just looking for companionship, and I just found that very relatable.
0: Yeah. Nice to hear you. I, yeah. Very forgiving. <laughs> Thank you so much. I actually have one last question for Last you. question. Is, we ask all of our guests this. Okay. Um, but as someone who's kind of been through it, uh-huh. um, through Cambridge, you're kind of now on the other side. To students at the university and to the members in this audience, I guess, what are three pieces of advice
1: you would give us um, in terms of the next few years? Okay, great question. Number one, no one talks about how sad it is to be here. Like, I feel like everyone feels like they're so lucky to be here that it's really taboo to be like, I hate it because you worked so hard to get here and everyone worked so hard to get here. The number one thing I would say is that you are not alone in your sadness. Even if you decide not to talk about it with your friends, just know that I felt that intense sadness and you're not strange for feeling it and you're not... I don't know, doing Cambridge wrong. Like, yeah. I just wish that people talked more about how hard this place is. That's my number one advice. Number two, the people who you think are popular, who are like going to decide the rest of your life, you're never going to see them again. Like, truly, like you're never going to see them again, and they will go bald. Like, a hundred percent of the people who bullied me have no hair. It's. <laughs> And that's, and that's karma. That's, that's on karma. So listen, don't, the people who you think are popular who like sort of decide your life or decide what's cool or decide, I don't know, things about you, they truly don't matter. You're, after these three years, you're never going to see them again. And my last piece of advice would be to know that the friends that will really stick with you, even if you drift apart from them a little bit, or, um, I don't know, go in different careers. It's strange the way that you find yourself... you find each... you find each other again. And I would just say not to stress about the friends that you'll make down the road, because... in the same way, it's almost like friend buoyancy. Like, the friends who are there will just naturally rise to the top, and you don't need to worry about... I I don't know. The real people who will be there for you maybe not, will, will maybe not be the people you expect, but they will be there for you. And that would be my, my last piece of advice. Thank you so much. Thank that was you, really you good so advice. much. I'm-
0: So much to everyone for joining us um, and for taking your evening out to hear Caroline speak. Um, as I mentioned at the start of the event, we'll be doing a social downstairs in the cellars. Um, Caroline, after dark, that's just
1: all the way. No, 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 it's not called that, it's not called that, it's called the Kellogg. Cal- like colloquium, like the order, but like Callaway. It's called the colloquium. Uh, it's not called Caroline After Dark. We agree to this. And there will be Aperol spritzes with elderflower in it, which um, is a drink I but really yes, approve of. If
0: you just follow the signs out, Jeff. Thank you so much. Okay, are you going to go?